check out my new book, Coping Courageously, a heart-centered guide for navigating a loved one's illness without losing yourself. It's appropriate for you as a clinician, for your patients, and for anyone you know who has a seriously ill loved one or an aging parent. Check it out and tell a friend. Hello, and welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast. I'm Dr. Delia Caramonti, an Integrative Palliative Medicine Physician. If you want to improve the well-being of families facing serious illness, that's your patients, but also your own family, you are in the right place. We can heal people's lives even when we can't cure their disease. So let's get started. Welcome. I am Dr. Delia Caramonti, and today we're going to talk about healing presence. Healing presence. What is it? Do you have it? If you don't have it and you want it, how do you get it? And then four myths about healing presence in the physician-patient encounter. You know how you see some medical providers or acupuncturist or even a yoga teacher or a massage therapist, and sometimes you just feel cared for and safe and open. And other times you see other providers of various services and you feel anxious and scared and closed, I'm going to assume that you would like to be the kind of physician or healthcare provider that makes the patient feel like the first way, safe and open and cared for. So that's what we're going to talk about, healing presence. What even is healing presence? Do we have a definition? I'll tell you the truth. I looked up a bunch of definitions and I didn't really like any of them. So I'm not going to give you a straight up definition, but we're just going to talk about this idea. Healing presence combines ideas from psychology, from sociology, from physical sciences, biological sciences, spirituality even. And it's something about the healer, that's us, the healers, something about the healer that leads to a positive change in the other person, but then also, and this is important, leads to a positive change in us, the healer. Qualities of listening, of caring, of being empathetic towards them, of accepting them, of being non-judgmental. That's a big one because sometimes as physicians, we're not, we're a little judgmental. So there's something about those qualities. There's something about a deeper connection that does require us to use some amount of intuition and intention for well-being for the other person, some amount of connecting, some amount of centering for ourselves. I do understand that this is a little fuzzy, but it's a little bit like trying to define love. You kind of know it when you see it and you know it when you don't see it, but it's a little bit hard to put into words. So the idea, just to say it one more time, of us bringing healing presence to the encounter with a patient is that our very being, the way we bring ourselves into the room leads to some sort of positive change in the person, the patient, and also in us. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about. That's the unofficial definition that we're going to use for healing presence. Okay, so I want to talk about a couple myths. I would say myth number one is, well, you're born with it or you're born without it. Like I went to that one massage therapist and she was so great. I felt so safe. I just felt it when I walked in the room before she even touched me. She must have been born that way. And that is totally a myth. So the reason I think that's important is if you don't see yourself as someone who has great skills in healing presence, that just means that you haven't learned them or adopted them. It does not at all mean that you can't have them. 
So when we talk in a little bit about what is healing presence and how do we get it, please know that if this is something that's important to you as part of your care of patients, you can increase your skills absolutely in healing presence. And that's what we're going to talk about. Myth number two is that it's all woo-woo, like weirdo, crazy stuff. It does sound a little woo-woo, but honestly, it it's not. So we do impact other people. So there's a couple things to think about. First off is that we have some energetics in our body. So we can measure someone's EEG, we can measure their EKG. So we are, as humans, putting off some energy that is theoretically measurable. And so it's not totally crazy that another human might be able to, beneath their conscious mind, perceive that. Other things to think about are pheromones. When you put a bunch of menstruating women in the same place for a while, say living together as roommates, they will often sync up their menstrual cycles. So somehow their bodies are communicating with each other, certainly not in a conscious way. And the other thing that I find really fascinating is that heart rate variability which is the change in heart rate when we inhale and exhale, which is normal. You want to have some variability in your heart rate when you inhale and exhale. That's normal. That can sync up between people when they are together. It can even sync up between people and beloved animals. They have done very interesting studies where they had a dog in one room and a person in another room. There's a dog and person that loved each other and they measured their heart rate variability separately. And then when they put them together, after some amount of time together, they entrained. So they became synced in their heart rate variability. And obviously this was not conscious for either of them. So the idea here is that bodies can communicate with each other, even when we don't know that we're doing it. There also is a whole very interesting field of mirror neurons. At some point, I think we'll do a podcast on that because I think it's so interesting. But there's this whole field of, of mirror neurons that talks about this very thing, which is that our physiology changes by watching another person do something. So for example, they've done neuroimaging studies where the limbic system gets activated when somebody either does an empathetic task, so treats someone in an empathetic way, but also when they observe somebody treating someone in an empathetic way, they have similar activation in the brain. So what we watch and what we do can activate our brains in the same way. So all of that to say, this is not just woo-woo stuff. We have some amount of communication with each other that is below our conscious awareness. And so that's part of what we're tapping into when we're talking about healing presence. So myth number three is that this is not part of my job as a physician. You could argue with me about this one, I suppose, but I'm going to pretty strongly say that this is a part of your job. If you see either live patients or live family members this is a part of your job. Our job is not just as technician to prescribe a medication or do a procedure. Our job is as a healer, using both our cognitive or physical skills, like procedural skills, and our healing presence. I think it isn't taught very well in medical schools, to be honest, but it's a really important part of our job. I found it interesting. I saw this post on Facebook yesterday. This was a physician who posted to other physicians in a group. Do we really need to care? Like, can't I just manage hypertension and diabetes with meds? Do I really have to, what they said was, quote, be a social worker, really have to care in this way? And I feel like, yeah, you do. Actually, you do. 
imagine if you sent your your first grader and the teacher had the philosophy of like, I don't have to care about any of these kids. I just have to teach them to read. That wouldn't be ideal, right? I'm not saying it would be a crime, but boy, you wouldn't want your kid in that class. Like caring about the kids is kind of part of the teacher's job. Caring about our patients, bringing our healing presence to the best of our ability is literally part of our job. The thing that I think is important to mention here, and it's the thought that I had when I read that question from this physician, is that burnout decreases empathy. And when our empathy decreases, it markedly decreases our ability to have healing presence with our patients. And so it becomes this downward spiral because healing presence is not just for the patient, it's also for us. It's bi-directional. It's also for us. So when we have burnout and our empathy goes down and we feel like, do I, God, do I even have to care? And we just don't even think about trying to have healing presence anymore. It makes us feel worse, which increases our burnout and continues this downward spiral. So no judgment of people who are struggling with this because burnout is real and practicing medicine right now is really hard, harder even than it used to be organizations need to get better so physicians don't have as much burnout. But I just think in this context of this conversation, it's important to recognize that if someone is really having trouble accessing their healing presence, it may be because they have burnout. And that's a thing that needs to be addressed. Myth number four is, I can't do that. I don't know about that. I'm not that kind of person. I don't know how to do that. So here's where I'm going to talk to you about kind of the how-to let's start with the very simple stuff. So the very simple stuff, sort of level one of healing presence are the physical environment and the nonverbal stuff. So if it's really noisy, if it's not a safe environment for a patient or for the physician, it's hard to bring your healing presence. So trying to make a safe, private, quiet environment is sort of level one. Level 1.2 is our nonverbals. So if you come in and you cross your hands and you don't sit down and the patient's laying in the bed and, you know, you don't look at them, it's going to be hard for them to perceive that you're bringing healing presence to this encounter. So there is something about intentionally working on our nonverbal communication, like sit down, look them in the eye if that's appropriate. Think about how you're holding your body, as in don't cross your arms don't turn away from the patient, those sort of things. So that's kind of the most basic stuff is the physical environment and our nonverbals. The next level to think about is our communication skills. So if we use inaccessible language, it's hard for the patient to feel that we're bringing healing presence. So we don't want to talk over people. We want our conversational style to sound friendly, to sound approachable and empathetic and accessible. So that's kind of the next level. And now come the more important things. The first one being trying to bring a state of unconditional positive regard, meaning that I am seeing you as a valuable person and I'm regarding you with my most positive energy, regardless of what's going on. Even if you didn't take my advice, even if you messed up the instructions that I gave you, even if you gained some weight, etc., that we try to tamp down our judgmental stance and intentionally adopt unconditional positive regard. Now, I totally get that if the person is exhibiting some bad behavior, that can be really hard to do. And I'm not saying it's always possible even, and I'm certainly not saying that I always am able to do it because I'm not always able to do it, but we should try. Even if we can't 100% get there, we should try. 
And when possible, even if the person has some reasonable level of bad behavior, if we can try to imagine that their bad behavior is probably from suffering of some kind, you know, if we tell them to make an appointment and they don't make an appointment, or we tell them to take a medicine and they don't, we decline to prescribe an antibiotic and they raise their voice. If we can do our best to imagine that they are probably suffering in some way, they're afraid or they're frustrated or they have barriers to doing the things that we've asked them to do, that can help us access our unconditional positive regard. Now, if the patient's screaming at you or throwing things at you, I forget about it. I understand that's impossible. But if for most patient encounters, we can at least try to bring that idea of thinking your difficult behavior is probably from your suffering and I am intentionally regarding you in a positive way. The next thing that we can learn to do is focused attention. So of course, we're all unfocused all the time. It's We have a million and seven things to do. It's hard to really focus on the person, but it's important. And it is part of healing presence is that you really be present, really be present and focus your attention on the person that is in front of you on the interaction that you're currently having. So it is pretty hard for a person to feel your healing presence if they perceive even unconsciously that in your mind, you're thinking about the next patient, or you're thinking about how late you are, or you're thinking about the next thing you have to do, or you're thinking about that unpleasant interaction that you had before you came in here, that patient will perceive that. They will perceive that. So the next one to think about is true empathy and compassion. And compassion requires empathy. And as I mentioned before, when we have burnout, that's one of the first things that goes is our empathy. And that's why it's so important that we prevent and also manage physician burnout because it impacts not just the physician, but it impacts the patient too. So compassion, which is the desire to ease another person's suffering. So we want to intentionally access our empathy and compassion as we're in the room with that patient. The next thing to think about, which is related to focused attention and empathy is intention which you might think of as a a mental state directed towards achieving a goal. So the goal, though, in this case, is the intention to offer healing presence. So it's not the intention to get you to take your medicines or the intention to get you to sign this consent for surgery, but it is the intention to bring a sense of healing presence to this encounter. And when possible, doing all of this with as positive an affect as we can achieve. Now, again, I understand that practice is hard and positive affect is sometimes hard to bring, but To the best that we can, bringing some kind of positive affect to the healing encounter, to the patient encounter can be important. Now, that does not mean, does not mean, does not mean toxic positivity. And if you're not sure what that is, go listen to my other podcast on toxic positivity, because that is not helpful. But if what we bring in is this emotional vibe of, oh my God, everything's terrible, this is terrible, my life's terrible, your life's terrible, the world is terrible, it's hard for the person to feel your healing presence because it's hard for you to generate healing presence when that's the state that you're in. Okay, so to sum up again, the things that we're working on are first, the physical environment and our nonverbals, our communication skills, making sure that they're accessible, trying to find the state of unconditional positive regard. And if you had to pick one thing that will enhance your healing presence, it's probably that one unconditional positive regard. So maybe ask yourself when you're with a patient, is that the energy that you're bringing, this unconditional positive regard? Or is the energy that you're bringing 
judgment or negativity or frustration. So we're going to try again for focused attention, meaning like really be in the room that you're in. Don't have your body be in the room, but your mind is somewhere else. We're going to try to bring our true, real empathy and compassion, which means we have to manage any burnout that we're feeling because otherwise that's too hard. We're going to bring the intention to generate a healing presence. And we're going to do our best to work on our own affect, have it be as positive as possible in our own life so that that's the energy that we bring into the room. So besides knowing about these things, how do you get there? How do you do this? How do you enhance your healing presence? I really feel like there are two things. The first is to fill up our own cup. And part of this is managing our burnout. So self-assessing, are we struggling with burnout? And if so, to um, to do what we can to manage it, whatever that means, meaning do we need to take a break? Do we need to work less? Do we need to have a a supportive person like a therapist? Do we need to start exercising again? Do we need to negotiate with administration? You know, what what does that mean for us? It's different for everybody. But the idea being fill up your own cup, because if our cup is empty, if we are depleted, if we are burned out, we really can't bring a healing presence to our patients. And not only does the patient suffer, but then also we suffer because we also benefit when healing presence is happening in this room. It goes to the patient and it bounces back to us. So Number one is to fill up our cup so that we are able to do this. Because if our cup is empty, we really can't fill up the room with healing presence. We just can't. It's no judgment on us. We just can't give what we don't have. So number one is to fill up our own cup. But then number two, once our cup is reasonably full, is to remind ourselves before we go into every patient encounter that this is our intention. So pause for a second. And we can center ourselves before each encounter to remind ourselves like, oh, yeah, I am going to attempt to bring healing presence into this room. So how do you center yourself? It doesn't matter. There's a million ways. Some people do it with a breath, a couple breaths. Some people do it with a phrase like, let me be a vessel of healing in their head. Or you might just say empathy and intention to yourself. Some people just center themselves and focus on their breath while they're washing their hands or using Purell. So there's no right way at all. There's no right way. But the idea is to pause and center yourself for a moment and remind yourself of your intention to bring healing presence before you walk into the room. So those two things, if you just fill up your own cup and pause before every encounter with a patient to center yourself, if you do that, you're ability to bring healing presence into the room skyrockets. So to summarize, this is a dance, really. This is a dance between our energy and the patient's energy, and we get from it too. So if you're, if what you're feeling is like, give me a break, one more thing I have to do, I'm already doing so much, which I understand, I want to remind you that this benefits us too. Because the whole of this is bigger than the sum of its parts. So it's not just like, oh, if I don't cross my arms and I sit down, then everything's fine. No, there, there's something bigger here, which is if we really work on filling our own cup, we really work on taking a pause before we enter the room. We intentionally bring healing presence into this room. Our patients benefit but then we benefit too. It fills us back up again. It becomes a positive feedback loop so that all of a sudden we like our job a little bit better and the patients seem nicer and our our sense of ourself as a healer improves. So it's not only good for the patients, it's also good for us. And ironically, it's also a little bit of a preventative from burnout 
So it's hard to do when you're already super burnt out. That needs to be addressed before we can access this part of ourselves. But when we're when we're actively doing it and we're actively bringing healing presence to the patient encounter, it helps protect us a little bit from burnout. Okay, so your homework this week is number one, decide how will you center yourself before you walk into the patient room? Will you take one breath? Will you say a phrase? Will you tap your fingers together? Like what, what is it that you're going to do in 10 seconds before you open every patient encounter door? That's number one. How will you center yourself? And then your homework number two is to practice. So practice bringing your healing presence on purpose into your patient encounters. And I'm really curious to hear how it goes. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Really. Like I really appreciate you being here and listening and sharing this with your colleagues. It means a lot to me. Thanks. Improving the well-being of families facing serious illness and the physicians and other healthcare providers who are caring for them is really important. It's just really important. And if you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. It really would mean a lot to me and tell a colleague and then I'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Integrative Palliative Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Integrative Palliative Medicine. If you found value in this podcast, please share with a friend or a colleague, subscribe or leave us a review. And to learn about upcoming Integrative Palliative Educational Programs or get on the waiting list for our next Physician Scholars Program, go to www.tiipm.org and sign up and I'll see you next week.